0: When I was a child, my planet Krypton was dying. I was sent to Earth to protect my cousin, but my pod got knocked off course. And by the time I got there, my cousin already grown up to become Superman. And so I hid my powers until recently when an accident forced me to reveal myself to the world. To most people, I'm an assistant at CatCo Worldwide Media. But in secret, I work with my adoptive sister for the DEO to protect my city from alien life and anyone else that means to cause it harm. I am Supergirl. I'm Eddie Webb. And I'm Chris Bybee. And today we're going to talk about Supergirl here on John Uh, welcome to our next step in the exploration of the Arrowverse with a show that was not originally intended to be part of the Arrowverse, and in fact, have completely networked entirely. Supergirl. I could have and, said that quote faster. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts about this. You could have said the quote faster, but I was trying to actually give it time to breathe and 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 I don't know. I just don't want to say it fast. I could say it fast if you want me say it fast. I can. <laughs>
1: I'm just giving a spoiler for the episodes we're going to cover about who is faster, the the super or the flash. That's it. That's all I'm
0: saying. <laughs> and that's it's a good uh, lead in because um, much like when I mentioned that Arrow was totally a Batman at us show without Batman, this is very much a Superman show without Superman. But I think this is a show that can get away with it better for pretty obvious reasons.
1: Sorry to interrupt. I know that you had to, Chris a Dick's whole Strick. bunch of thoughts that you wanted to to go into before I made my joke. And I think I managed to hold off for about 30 seconds before a joke. So that's personal growth.
0: <laughs> Getting faster about the interjecting with the jokes <laughs> is not personal growth. <laughs>
1: Well, maybe if I acknowledge it two more times to make it three, it'll be funny again.
0: Oh, there we go. See, As long as you keep going back to the
1: the circle of three. We're we're catching back up. We're getting back in the sink of things. So I have to pull out some of the old jokes. So they're with the new us. So when I make them for future us, they're still funny.
0: And, you know, there may be people who listen to this, this podcast out of order. So to them, these jokes are new. To me, they very much are not.
1: They can't listen to the Order, otherwise they break continuity. And we know that the all-sacred continuity is more important than anything else in all the multiverses in different Earths.
0: At some point in time, we really should have the conversation of canon versus continuity because I have many, many thoughts about that. Um, But uh, to, to build on that, one of the things that... So, so going to go back story a little bit. Supergirl was originally mentioned meant as a CBS show. It was originally commissioned by CBS because they wanted to make a show to compete with the Arrowverse. Uh, and then the season we're going to watch was done under CBS's uh, watch. Uh, and then season two, they canceled it. Uh, the CW came in and actually got the rights to continue it. So it became part of the Arrowverse after the part we're seeing, but also not really because even before the ends there was already a strong connection between the creative teams between Arrowverse and Supergirl so it's it's weird because this was always intended to be a different show like according to Arrowverse continuity this is earth 23 as opposed to earth no this is earth 38 as opposed to earth 1 um, so there were always meant to be separate continuities but then they became one continuity and they kind of sort of were going that direction before they actually officially went that direction. So it's it's an interesting bit of continuity sense of. It started not being but left enough stuff open that you could see it happening and then it started happening and it just got more and more interesting.
1: So I will say, though, that regardless of how you feel about the first season with the CW, I'm sorry, the um, ah, with the first network for the first season, their budget was so much higher than it will become when it goes to the CW where the budget is maybe a third of what they had. And you can tell by the cast, by the quality of the show, yeah. not, not saying writing, but the actual special effects and everything else associated with it.
0: Yeah, this is uh, to, 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 to pardon the pun a bit, but is this kind of a parallel universe of what happened if CW had more money? Um, because, uh, it's it's a it's a kind of situation where um, they are clearly patterning themselves after CW style shows, but they're trying to make it to the quality level that CBS audiences expect. So you're right; there's definitely a, a, a level of, of of polish that this has that isn't quite we haven't quite seen. Uh, like, uh, for example, there's not as much set reusing as there is in like The Flash or uh, Arrow. Um, They have a slightly bigger cast. Um, You're right, there's uh, slightly higher uh, named actors in this. Uh, So, yeah, there's just a level of this needs to be CBS level. And then that kind of uh, uh, carries into CW. Some of those decisions stay, obviously, some of those decisions don't for for budgetary reasons. Um, But CW kind of inherits some of that initial investment. Because one thing that's fascinating about television is that a lot of the investments up front. And then uh, they can kind of amortize that over the course of a season. So like they have to build all the sets and hire all the actors, all that's upfront costs. Um and that's why often when uh there's a new set uh that usually comes at the beginning of a new season. So if you watch, like say uh Star Trek um Deep Space Nine, the Defiant came a couple of seasons later when they had the money after the first couple of seasons that you build a new set for the starship. Um, you know, things like that happen. And you see that in the CW shows as well, uh, uh as you know, the sets get expanded, modified, increased the arrow cave. It looks very different from where season seven, season one. Um, but this did get a lot of that kind of upfront cost for CBS that then kind of played out. And that also the say CW. that
1: the initial season is also aimed at an older audience just by, for instance, even Calista Flockhart being one of the key cast members in the show, aims it for an older demographic. And this, everything is going to be tilted more towards that scale compared mm-hmm. to when it will go to the CW, where it then shifts to go down to a younger demographic, how most of the other Arrowverse shows are. Right. Um,
0: uh, but a, a good example, I'm going to pull a note from the episode, but it's not plot relevant, so I don't feel bad about doing this way. But in episode 16, there is a joke about or where Kat actually looks at her staff and goes, it's a bunch of inoffensively attractive young people. It looks like a CW show. So they're making fun of the fact that the audience are trying to go after. But at the same time, you're right, it's skewing older. So people can kind of go, oh, okay, I I get this reference and I can kind of feel a little superior because I am a slightly older audience than the ostensible C- CW audience. And so the fact that it <laughs> within a few months then becomes the CW show is particularly hilarious. But you will
1: then also notice that they, it's a spoiler, but if we ever do the second season, you'll instantly know that they lose Cat Grant, for instance, when it goes over the CW because of budgetary constraints. Mm-hmm. Calista Flockhart has more of a name than most right. of the cast. And, I would be. Uh, we may get called out if we don't say it, but she was like the star of Ally McBeal from back in the day. I think she is still married to Harrison Ford, so oh, okay. there's more uh, money to be spent to have her come on her show to do the things that she was doing. Right. Yeah. Uh,
0: so uh, before we go into uh, actually talking about it, um, we should do the usual comic book version of Supergirl. Uh, and I, admit, I did not know much about Supergirl before I watched the show, or I, I didn't watch the show before this, uh, so I, all this was kind of prepped for watching this, but it, I didn't know bits and pieces, and it was something that was really fascinating, the fact that Supergirl... So Supergirl was created in 1958. She died in 1985 in Infinite Crisis, and I knew that part, right? I knew that um, she had died because when they wanted to do the reboot of it, Part of the idea of the 85 John Byrne reboot was that Superman was the only living Kryptonian. So they got rid of Superboy, they got rid of Supergirl, they got rid of Crypto, uh, anyone else, any other Kryptonian, those were all gone. And then it wasn't because of that anyway, groundbreaking but, you know,
1: Supergirl movie starring Helen Slater from uh, back in the day. <laughs>
0: oh, I forgot about that movie. Oh, man. That's a callback. I, I, I haven't seen that since it was in the theaters. That's like 30 years. Wow. Uh, But what's interesting is that uh, from 1985-2004, there were other Supergirl characters, but none of them were Kryptonian. Uh, So uh, Kara L., the Kryptonian character, comes back in 2004. And she's been kind of the default Supergirl ever since. And that's the one that we're looking at here. But the name that she uses in the show, Kara Danvers, the Danvers' last name, actually comes from uh, Peter David's run where she was Linda Danvers and she was absolutely not Kryptonian at all. So it is kind of a blend of her Cousin of Superman origin and her not at all a Kryptonian setup to make this kind of synthesized version. Uh, And honestly, given the fact that she has extremely muddled backstory and multiple predictions to go through... Uh, I could see why a lot of people saw the show and thought, oh, well, that's just the default Supergirl. Do you mean the defo- because, you know, you mean really because she was a Matrix for a while?
1: Or that she was Power Girl and then became Supergirl? Or I think there was a, clo- a like an alien that was masquerading as her in addition to that one? Or how I think in the 50s she married Jimmy yes. Olsen for a while? But that was kind of a dream, depending on which age you want to read about.
0: Right. Yeah. No, there's, uh, and, um, uh, she was part of the, uh, super team in the 30th century, but then she wasn't, um, super so age H- comics alone are weird, but Supergirl's particular particularly weird because there's a, much like we talked about last week with Barry Allen, um, Barry Allen also died in crisis. And so his continuity got a little snarled, but in his case, they are able to pass the mantle on pretty firmly to Wally West. And it was only until again later reboots where Barry Allen came back, so Barry West could definitively carry on the Flash, but there was no similar torch torch passing for Supergirl. So yeah, it 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 was just a lot. Um, I have heard really good things up here, David's run specifically uh, for the 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 Linda Danvers run. So um, I am uh, curious about that. Uh, And apparently, the Danvers last name is absolutely an intentional reference to Marvel Girl (laughs) or uh, um, Captain Marvel.
1: Um, I know that so, at time of recording, James Gunn has shown interest in doing a Supergirl movie. I think from a news from a recent Supergirl comic book run, but in reality, we'll see what cool. happens. James Gunn has said a lot of. I would crazy. like to see them. Yes,
0: that is that is very true. Like it, just recently, he said that um, he does want to do a second season of Peacemaker, but it's going to be several years before getting started on that. So it's like, uh, yeah,
1: so. And and for happen. anyone that's curious, I think that the second Suicide Squad movie is awesome, but that's a whole other digression that doesn't have Supergirl, so I will not go yes. into it here yet. I, I agree. Um,
0: as for her powers, uh, she basically has the default Superman power set, so she's very fast, she can fly, she's super strong, she's uh, not <laughs> invulnerable about <blasting>. Um She... <laughs> <laughs> um, no, she's, she's as far as we know invulnerable um, at least her skin is uh, and her main weakness is to various forms of kryptonite but does she have uh, the greatest we'll superman the power ever she cannot fly around the circle no and no that's and not the one the that, that's a good time, one. That, no.
1: That's number three the greatest superman power ever do you want to guess one more time or just want me to tell you because you know <laughs> it's gonna that? be it's gonna be something obscure no 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 you, you, no, ready? you, you guys tell me now it's back when superman could yep. shoot a miniaturized version of himself out of his hand that all of his superpowers oh, that's right. fly around and do all the work while Superman sat around and did nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: forgot about the Superman shooting the Superman ones. You're right. That is, that is objectively the best Superman power. You're
1: not wrong. Just say it.
0: Oh, so is so weird, man. <sighs> oh. Anything else about uh, uh, Supergirl and the comics? or Not about the comics, but I
1: think it's interesting that both, I think, Melissa Benoist and Brant Gustin. No, that's not his name. I'm very close. But the lead of The Flash both, I think, came from Glee. And that's just kind of an an interesting tidbit to know. Like, they're either both on it or something. And they both have singing backgrounds. I think a lot of the cast of Flash are actually musically oriented and it was surprising I don't remember them ever having a musical episode but because like Joe was one of the uh, leads in the rent from the 90s and everything else has a big Broadway career Cisco sings I don't think uh Caitlin sings though, so, but I can't be certain of that one
0: honestly I would love if they did a, a like a Buffy style musical episode where everyone's singing throughout that, and that would have been i know that
1: melissa Benoist is definitely a singer the rest of the cast of supergirl i'm not as sure of how i'm with the flash indeed but you know it's cool that's useless that and irrelevant thank you i'm glad to be here covering that capacity
0: but let's be fair chris our entire podcast is
1: irrelevant. right now there's someone either going <laughs> to work stuck in a commute or maybe they're just walking the dog and they think I want to listen to something that's upbeat about from two geeky writers that talk about a geek show and they may hate on one or two animes a little bit, but in the end they'll tell me something funny and make me laugh at least once or beat a dead horse to keep trying to make me laugh.
0: (laughs) Although actually you do remind me, um, uh, uh, I was very pleased that someone on the Discord recently mentioned that because of our podcast, oh, they right. never heard of The Big O and watched it and really enjoyed it because we talked about it and really enjoyed it. So it's like one person <laughs> in the world listened to our podcast and found a show that they now love. We're done. We don't can do anything else. We can, we can shut it down. The Big
1: O is we, awesome. We like, ah. Oh. <laughs> I would go back. The Big re- O is great. I'd go back and do like I'm a whole other episode about now. other episodes we didn't watch the Big O that because it was so cool.
0: Yeah, no, they go. oh, It was that was definitely the high point. That the, the, the not only the high point of that run, but
1: also yeah, um, like the fact that that we were both not really expecting it. <laughs> like, but we're not here, here to head. talk about the greatness that is the Big mm-hmm. O.
0: Showtime. Okay, Uh episode one, pilot. Cousins Kal-El and Kara Zor-El are sent to Earth before Krypton's impending destruction. The planet's implosion forces Kara's ship off course and into the Phantom Zone for 24 years before landing on Earth. Kal, now operating as a superhero Superman in Metropolis, puts Kara into the care of the Danvers in National City. Twelve years later, Kara, working at CatCo Worldwide Media, reveals her powers as a vigilante. She tells her co-worker, Schott, about her secret, and he starts aiding her. Her cold- 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 blah, blah, blah her cold-hearted boss, Cat Grant, titles the vigilante Supergirl. Alex, Kara's adopted sister, works at the Department of Extranormal Operations, or DEO, under the leadership of Hank Henshaw, investigating alien activity. Kara learns there are hundreds of aliens on Earth, most of whom come from a prison that was run by her mother, Allura. Her actions attract the attention of alien Vartox, and she's able to defeat him, although he then kills himself. James Olsen, another one of Kara's colleagues, reveals that Cal sent him to look after her and present her with a new cape. Vartok's superior is revealed to be Astra Inzi, Z, Allura's identical twin sister who wants to conquer Earth. And first of all, when you say it, when you put it like that, that a whole lot happens, but it never feels like it throughout the whole episode. It actually feels like it's, 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 the, the information's doled out pretty well, but there it does reveal an ongoing weird quirk of the show, which is that I think somewhere in the contract for the show they have a writer that says you can only use the Uh, word Superman uh, a certain number of times because they find really convoluted ways to refer to Superman without just saying the word Superman in this episode. It's probably
1: also in the contract that they can't show you Superman. They show you a silhouette of Superman. They show you the, the overcast of Superman, but you never get to see Superman.
0: Mm-hmm. And it honestly reminded me of all things the Netflix show run that we did, in the sense it is kind of trying to imply that this may have been the Superman of, of the the on, the movies at the time, but you know they again they couldn't really completely reference that, but at the same time the movies were never going to reference this CBS show, uh so in a way the fact that it a went into the universe and then b Spoiler: Future seasons, they do end up casting their own Superman, is ultimately to the show's benefit. But there's this kind of weird space of like, is it trying to be in the nascent DC cinematic universe? Uh, What's happening here? It's it's the show so heavily hinges on her relationship with Superman, and then they kind of can't really show or talk about him. Is
1: you mean how the surprisingly weird? You mean how the Netflix shows all talked about the event, and it happened around the time where the Avengers had the first big fight with the Chikari? And so, yeah, that yeah, oh, what was yeah that? Exactly. that patriotic hero they would say instead of saying, Captain America, yeah, the big guy, yes. I think they mean the Hulk, right,
0: the green, yeah, the big guy, the green guy, um the the archer, and it's just like they have names, um and this this and this very much those vibes again from Daredevil season one of like. The big guy, Cal, um, your cousin.
1: Like a spoiler Jeff, for the later part of, the first of this episode is when James is saying, yeah, you know, the big guy thinks that you should. And that is a time where you would say the real yeah. name because it was that heartfelt moment between the two of them. And vague allusion to the person I'm referring to, to make this heartfelt moment awkward and weird.
0: Right. It was, it was just, I don't know, it, it, it <laughs> It, it, it really stood out in a episode that otherwise very efficiently sets up a status quo, explains the situation, uh, definitely explains why Kara is both protecting Superman and also younger than Superman, uh, sets up why she's never been heard of before now, why she never revealed her powers before now. And her interoffice dynamic, because a part of the show is definitely the workplace drama, as well as the superhero drama. And they kind of said, forty-five minutes." Do you know when the movie
1: "The Devil Wears Prada" was released? Okay, because I definitely 40s, felt I don't remember exactly when. Like hints of that scattered throughout this entire first episode, and I think most of the season that we watched.
0: Oh yeah, no the. Um, uh, extremely uh, elegant, dismissive, uh, bitchy boss dynamic. Yeah, no, that's it's, it's it's there's that's definitely kind of the setup. Uh, and so I mean that's a, that's a kind of a, go back real quick uh, through the um, beginning, the whole all the Krypton stuff. It's like I feel like Superman has reached the same point at Batman of like I don't think we need to hear the origin story anymore, but we do kind of see but- the origin story again. But we need to see um, the origin story for
1: Supergirl because hers would be different than Superman's. Which also, unfortunately, by seeing that, that does then create its own issues that her mother knew about the planet being destroyed. Also, had built kind of a ship too compared to just Superman's parents.
0: Right. I, I, I feel like by showing it, it actually reveals some of the logical holes. Like, if your job was to protect Kal-El... Put him in the same ship. <laughs> Not put him in the ship directly behind or him.
1: her ship should have gone first, but that's, then
0: becomes. Right. Something. um, uh, But I mean, it, again, it, it sets up like, the fact that that Superman's so intrinsic to her story and that yet they weird, they can't talk about him. It, it's, it's a bit odd. So I mean like to, to their credit, they do kind of go, okay, you know who Superman is and how he happened. So like they do gloss over Superman's particular portion of it. So I mean, It does confirm something
1: that Um, I've always liked from one of the histories that have popped up is that during their voyage to Earth, that could have taken who knows how long, really, uh, a year, a thousand years. But they're in a sort of a stasis sleep and they're learning like they're and that's always been something that bounced back. and forth. I can't remember that was originally in Burns's run or not, but I know that someone said that he'd sort of received an entire education for that trip there which then gives them sort of a super intellect that aliens would have from a more advanced civilization.
0: Right. I, I feel like there was one version also where, uh, they ended up getting, uh, radio transmissions from earth. And that's one of the reasons why they were both a immediately fluent in English and whatnot, but also be why they internalized American values so quickly is because they picked up American radio. Um, I don't remember if that's, an earlier or later adaptation. Continuity, you know? right? Right. Um, but, you know, again, it, you're, uh, you're, you're right in the sense that, that they do get over that that pretty quickly into the... It's like, okay, yeah, she's in Phantom Phone 24 years, whatever, move on. You know what the Phantom Zone is, right? Right, sure you do. Uh, it, it's, I mean, they, they do kind of now, set that up pretty fast. Let's take
1: a minute, as, as we uh, do in every podcast, to note the problematic actor that we have in the show in the first five minutes. <sighs> Which one is this one? Dean Cain. Uh, Dean Cain said a lot oh, well, of just one. like crappy stuff about other people and wokeness and a whole thing that was an issue in other drama. If people want to research it, they can. But just know that Dean Cain is a somewhat problematic person too. And I think that's also why later in the show they start cutting out his role from some things that were going on. But that's me remembering snippets of news, drama, and media back then. Having now put that bad note aside, it was great to see Helen Slater, Supergirl, herself. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yes. Much like with uh, The Flash, um, it did seem like there were kind of lots of nods. So let's bring actors from some of the original shows that we're building off of and bring them back and and put them in different
1: roles or similar roles. As this is a podcast where we Um, talk about early crushes in our youth, I will admit to having a crush on Helen Slater from from the time of the the legend of billy g oh, really? <laughs> if anyone remembers that one it's a bad movie but i i, I had a crush wow. on her and i also watched the michael j fox movie with her just because of her wow i could go on but that's enough about Chris's corner no 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 i mean it's
0: I, what we bring to the table with these shows is it's, it's just as much fun as talking about the, the shows themselves um <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that's cool. I don't have anything more to say about that. I was going somewhere, and then my brain just like, "Nope, we're done. You, you ran out of road there. Cool, right?" Moving on. Uh, welcome to getting close to fifty. Uh, yes, now back to the kind of cat code dynamic. You're right; it's very kind of devil's wear Prada. Um, the uh, assistant who's trying to get somewhere in the world thinks she'll learn under this uh, shrewish woman, um, and. Finding there's a heart of gold under that that evil exterior. That I mean that that it's a very kind of familiar formula. Um, I think it helps that uh, Flockhart really does a great job of injecting a little bit of fun into that role to make you not completely hate Cat. Uh, and and that plays out over the course of the shows episodes we're going to watch. Um, but certainly in this very first episode, it's like ooh. <laughs> You know, I don't I don't think I like her. That's it usually how the bosses that, work. Right. It's also
1: how it worked with The Flash and Barry's boss, like the captain, who is antagonistic towards Barry. Mm-hmm. And yep. Oliver just has a lot of antagonistic people, so we could just kind of let that one go. That's Well, yes. But I also think problem. though that uh Kat, if memory serves, was also a character from the original comic of Superman and she was in Superman three.
0: Interesting. I had assumed it was at least partially a reference to uh, the last name Grant, I thought was uh, maybe a gender swap of uh, Superman's old editor.
1: But I now I have to know that. who that is. It's not Perry White. Is it? There?
0: I, I guess. No, no, they're, they're, no. Uh, after Perry White, there was a run where uh, Superman went to into television uh, as a reporter and his boss I don't, was I don't think something he was grand.
1: grand. I think it, I'm pretty sure we may have to Google this folks. But I remember he the like paper being bought out and it turns Oops. out that boss was working with like this interdimensional gang that was tied back to dark side.
0: Right, right. Well of, of uh, course because we uh, do, we don't mumbling. do research here
1: but we remember um, stuff and as men of a certain age. Sometimes you have to get a little assistance to help with the memory to have things sort of all click together. It could be because it's late in the day where Eddie is. It could be early in the day where I am.
0: Uh, no, okay. I
1: I was, Mister
0: Remingles lately. Um, it is actually Cat, Cat Grant. I was remembering. So so you were right. Um, but she was a, a gossip columnist for the Daily Planet, um, and she was one of the people that was kind of going to be part of the love triangle when in the eighties. They wanted to write out Lois Lane for a while. Um, and then she went on to the TV job. That's where I was getting those wires mixed up. So, okay. No, so I was actually thinking of Cat Grant. Uh, so, I
1: so I, I think, I think we're talking a little too negatively about the character of Cat. I think the presentation that's being presented is because oh, I agree. it is a marginalized person that had to fight to get the position they have through constant backstabbing and pressure. So that sort of forges them into steel to get to where they're going. And part of that is in by teaching the other people under them to have their own amount of fortitude to, re- to endure what's going to happen.
0: I, 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 you're right. Um, this episode, you don't see it, but when you watch the later episodes we're going to talk about, you start to realize that the reason why Cat Grant's the way she is, is you're right. She has to kind of, she is a woman of an age where she had to be a man in a man's world. She couldn't, use a feminine approach and get as far as she could uh, in, in in business uh and she definitely uses that uh prickly exterior to do what she thinks is right so she is unlike say J. Jonah jameson from marvel um she's not, she's not my principal she's actually a genuinely a good person she just has no time for your bullshit, and she weaponizes her dismissive nature to try to get people away from her team to protect mm-hmm. her team. It's different leadership styles.
1: Almost how we talked when we talked about the captains, it's comparing um, Cisco to Picard. Yeah. And I could go back with instant row and how I think that right. if row hit worked for Cisco row would have been amazing compared to working for Picard Picard and turning row kind of against people. They may have changed that now, I think with the new season of Picard, but I don't, I don't watch that. So I can't speak to it. I,
0: I've not watched the new season of Picard yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting until it's all done. I have thoughts. Um, uh, but speaking of of characters that have been reimagined, I really like what they did with James Olsen. Um, I mean, making him older. They they start, they start calling him Jimmy, and he's like, "Because I prefer James now." You know, it it puts him into a nice place because he's a character that we recognize the name, we know his role. Um, it's a character that's not in comics traditionally had a ton of depth i will I, i say with caveat because he jack kirby did some amazingly weird shit with jimmy olsen in the 70s and it started a trend of olsen just being involved in some really bizarre nonsense in the comics so that's not really backstory you know that's just stuff happening to him um and so moving him into more of a mentor role to kara uh and and being like I'm the person that can tell you the things I've learned from Superman, so we don't have that Jeff Superman role there, um, is a really good place for him. And of course, obviously, it's also going to be the attractive love interest, so that's another role for him. But it was refreshing to see, oh, this is a character I recognize, but he's in a new place, and it's a logical place for him to be, as opposed to a contrived place to jam another mm-hmm. name drop from DC totally Comics
1: and it was funny to hear him say that, no, that's a, that's for like the big guy and my parents. No one else calls me Jimmy. It's like, boop, we got to close that door right now. And at right. the same time, though, it shows you that if Kara yep. and James' relationship reached a certain point, that she may be able to call him Jimmy if they were to go down that line. So that reinforces like the closeness they would have had. Exactly. It's a nice little mm-hmm. touch. That's sort of a, uh, a future thing that we could use. It's already built in first episode. Yeah.
0: And, and again, there's lots of little drops in here like um when things start going bad and cats like you know time to call the big guy use your secret (laughs) watch or whatever it is you do um a little nod to the um to the the secret watch he had and i was like little things like that um where they they can drop them in and recognize no we we do love all the permutations of superman that came before but we're telling a different story here And, and honestly that really comes into play when the D.E.O. are kind of introduced. Uh, and I don't know anything about the D.E.O. in the comics. I I, th- I thought they were new for Supergirl. I don't know if that's true or not. And I have I, reached
1: my limit of research time. I, I did not research. So I, I do not know. I'm just assuming they were created for the show. And if they're not, our listener, if you want to let us know, uh, put it in the Discord. We'll talk about it. <laughs> Please.
0: Um, but it's it's... We, you talked last week about how the Flash is kind of was was kind of very loosely structured on Arrow, and you see kind of similar things. And that's not quite as true with Supergirl, but the D.E.O. is so obviously here is the set where she can go to plan superhero hijinks with her support team of people that she can talk to, and that felt ripped right out of the Flash and Arrow, and it's. It works, but it's also a little jarring because, like, they sip is nice tension about her adoptive sister wants to keep her a secret, and there's nice tension there, and then immediately, like, yeah, we're just gonna throw all that out. She's actually a secret agent that fights aliens all the time.
1: That's a and very like, Marvel uh, move.
0: Okay, I mean, I'm not mad that we're here. It, it, if it's fair, and that's not to say that there are strong Shield vibes with the DEO. I'm, honestly, I'm not gonna like, lie. Down to so the, the DEO
1: suits. is something I am torn on. I. I hate the DEO in Supergirl. Mm. It is one of the things. And I like the stuff that it brings in, like the Martian Manhunter and everything else. But I hate it at the core concept of it because it takes away from the power that is Supergirl. It's like having they wouldn't have Superman and then have the DEO here to be Superman's backup. And so it's going to be the ongoing issue that becomes more and more of a problem with me in later seasons because they're taking away Supergirl's agency and power to elevate the other people around her. And they didn't do that with The Flash. They don't even do it with Oliver. Like They are always heroes, and their sidekicks are heroes. And there's that constant distinction. And here, there isn't that. And it's every season she gets a little bit less, and everyone else either increases in power, or they add in a new hero that then keeps them all on the same level.
0: I don't know about that arc, uh, but I do agree with you just because I haven't watched it. So I'm not saying it's not true. I'm saying I don't know. Um, But certainly the episodes we watched here, um, I felt like the D.E.O. was trying to be the Star Labs equivalent. But the difference is, and just to your point, is Barry could tell Star Labs he doesn't want to be involved anymore and leave and still have adventures, and that's fine. And it's very much framed like if Kara doesn't work for the D.E.O., they're going to hunt her down and kill her. Um and that's 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 a hostile work environment in almost very literal sense. Uh so it starts off on the wrong foot and then they try to walk it backwards, but it's still at the end of the day a military organization designed to hunt down and exterminate aliens. And you can't really get away from that when your lead is an alien and with is going to include her alien sister stuff. who has
1: been gaslighting her for at least five years a dec five years a decade.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and they just—at least in these episodes—didn't even. Get so
1: touched. that it's just like that is my problem with Supergirl, okay, just, and one of the reasons fine. why I I've watched a lot of it, but I bounce off of it because it's if it's Supergirl, she should be as po- if not as powerful as Superman, because you could say that Superman's been here like an extra decade longer than she has, so he's absorbed more yellow sun into his cells and giving him greater superpowers. But all that bah, other bah, nonsense bah. aside. If she is your super lead of the show, she should be the super lead of the show. Superman in his show is a super lead of the show. Arrow is the vigilante lead, and Diggle, when they have Diggle even put on the Arrow costume in later episodes, is never as good as Oliver, constantly in Oliver's shadow. And they bring in other Flashes, and they're always in Barry's shadow. Mm-hmm. But here, you've even got—we'll see, yeah. you know, spoiler—but uh, John Jones is as powerful as Supergirl, which. No offense, Martian Manhunter Mm -hmm. could kick anyone's ass with like his power set, hands down. Sorry, mental powers and all your superpowers. I'm vulnerable to fire, but you can't see me because I'm invisible. And
0: right, no, I mean I I agree with you. Martian Manhunter is is tough, but also it's not a Justice League show; it's a Supergirl show. So when you put when her name's on the title, she should be the mini rant over.
1: But that is my entire problem with this show. I want her to be the lead and have all that status and everything that goes with it.
0: And that brings up an interesting point that um I saw this in the episode like it's the pilot, you know, the hero has to to grow into her power, so it didn't bother me time, but it didn't seem like it went away as you watch your episode's Um, in the sense that you're right, because she's a woman, she's constantly having to prove herself. And it. The show makes some half-hearted stabs at a feminist approach, but the actual writing never really supports that. Like their argument for mm-hmm. why she's called Supergirl is weak. It's basically Cat's like, "What's wrong with being a girl? I'm a girl. Girls are tough," and blah blah. It's like there's a word for that. The word is woman. Mm-hmm. You know, it 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 it, 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 it was it, it was a half-hearted attempt to try to reclaim the word, and it's like no. The reason why she's called Supergirl is because that is the word that's been trademarked by DC. And that's, that's the real reason. And, and there's no real kind of excuse for that. So either you just accept it and move on or you come up with a better approach or even, you know, do something like Arrow does, where (laughs) you just don't even use her name for a good long time. I mean, Ollie was not the Green Arrow until like what, season two, season three?
1: As they're taking a Smallville approach with villains, we could just go ahead and take uh, Clark's name from, I think, season five, whatever it was, and call him The Blur. Call her the blur and be done with it. <laughs> yeah. That's I what the blur reference was to.
0: okay. Uh, we'll we'll will we'll go back to that in that's a future episode, but that, that that explains something I was worried about. Alright. Uh, the only other thing I had to say about this episode is is Vartox, who is generic Kryptonian thug. Uh, but they're setting up what seems to be the season one arc, which is Kara's gonna fight a whole bunch of Kryptonian criminals, which is frankly not bad for a super Superman, Supergirl show. It's the I'm from this planet. Here are all these villains from this planet. They have the same powers I do, so that means I constantly have someone that I am I'm on par with, or probably slightly below because I'm still learning my powers. Um, And it's a nice steady stream for zone of the week structure. So it's, it's, it's not a bad setup for having
1: made my point earlier about it being her show. Now I'm going to say that this show did do something that I enjoy a lot for super powered people. If you have people of the same sort of power level, it becomes less about their power, but about their skill and her having actively not used her power for so long means she didn't know how to fight in the same way that, he knew how to fight and so that's why he was winning more of the fights like that was a good use of that mm. aspect of it that is also something that should be overcome by like three episodes it's a it's a very narrow window where you get to use that right
0: yeah and, and to your point it, it's also inconsistent because like there was kind of a subplot of I, I I don't know if i can fly and then like 30 seconds later she's flying and it's like i remember how to fly so it's like, okay so like it's set up that, oh, she can actually pick up these skills very fast and then doesn't.
1: So It's like it's, when Superman it, it fought Muhammad Ali right. and Muhammad Ali won with Superman and Hammer's powers because Muhammad Ali knew how to fight. Clark just is really tough and strong.
0: It, for our listeners, Chris is not making this up. There actually was a comic where because Superman fought he Muhammad is the Ali greatest. and Muhammad Ali won. That, that exists. It's canonical. That's he had to best. teach That's Superman how to fight. Canon.
1: All right, sorry, I could go on now. I, I... Right, all right. uh Andy Jimmy tells Clara uh Kara he knows that she's Supergirl. Boom. <laughs> I call him Jimmy because we're tight. We're like right. that. Right. <laughs> we're for friends.
0: Um, but again, also it's it's the yeah. Let's just dive. Let's not pull that spotlight up They did some good jobs about shortcutting. Is like we, here's some things you expect. Let's just cut rates of chase i'm done i mean that was good i agree with you on that okay episode 16 falling after helping fight a warehouse fire supergirl inadvertently comes into contact with red kryptonite which overrides her inhibitions Kara soon becomes more cold, shallow, and cynical, which causes Wynne, James, Alex, and even Kat to wonder what's going on with her. Kara even goes so far as to rat out the backstabbing Siobhan by leaking information that Siobhan has been contacting the Daily Planet for information on Supergirl's actions, which results in Kat firing Siobhan and denying her a job at the Daily Planet. It soon turns out that Maxwell Lord created the so called Red Kryptonite in the hopes of stopping Nan's next attack. After the compromised Supergirl makes an attempt on Cat's life, Kat goes on TV and denounces Supergirl. Alex and Max were forced to form an uneasy alliance while he tries to help the DEO stop Supergirl. After a climatic battle downtown, the DEO is able to subdue and capture Supergirl, but the price of Hank revealing himself as the Martian Manhunter. And I genuinely picked this episode just because, it's like, oh, this is the Red Krypton episode. Okay, cool, great, because I want this to do with Red Kryptonite. And yeah, I was this, so this happy is a gem episode.
1: <laughs> it highlights everything good about the show. Um, like, yeah,
0: it 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 really did for me. I mean, I I I watched. It and I was like, oh, because. So I'm mean, going to talk about this, but like, I did watch the first couple episodes, and I kind of fell off as like, I don't think the shows for me. And also, I was, we were reaching a point where there was literally an Arrowverse or Arrowverse style show. Every week, I mean, so like, you know, you you could, almost never catch up. It's a it was a fire hose of superhero content. Now was like I, I I could just skip the show, um. And then when I watched this episode, I was like, I now see why people love the show, because this is just everything I would want in a girl, a show like this. Like, even to the point where she fights the person and then the camera pans down and you see the kryptonite and it's like, that is a Smallville <laughs> fucking camera move, right? I'm like, okay, I yes, I see you producers. You, I also have watched Smallville. I see what you're doing here. And they're, they didn't shy. No, we're, we're doing this episode. It, this is the Red Krypton episode. Here's what, if you're a fan, you know what to expect. And we're just going to lean into it up to the point where, jumping ahead slightly, that, you know, the, the evil black cat suit. I mean, it's, like just, it's it's exactly the bullshit you expect from a Red crypton episode. And they just <laughs> go for it. And I love it.
1: Oh, so, all right. What did you think about Cat being on air with, was it The View, I think? The ladies from The View.
0: Oh yeah, the, the 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 not view. Yeah, it was it was something else. It was obviously not the view.
1: Um,
0: I, honestly, it kind of went back to my point earlier about a show that is trying to sell itself as very feminist and it kind of only gets the shallow trappings of feminism. Um, it, it's like that could have been any other news show, and with almost no changes of dialogue. <coughs> But because it's, oh, no, we we'll are doing an apparition of you. So I wish all these women talking and hanging out together. And it's like, I appreciate you trying to get more women on screen. That part I respect.
1: But you don't do anything. With I that. would say, though, that I'm in about 80% agreement with you. Except there's one small detail where you have cat mm-hmm. out. I'm using quotation marks. Uh, feminize, feminizing one of them with a comment. To like reinforce how feminine, feminine forward cat mm-hmm. is. And they tried to reinforce it by having it be the view, sure. the not view that she does it to. Like that is them placating, not even placating, playing into what we're discussing without actually putting real thought and effort into it.
0: Right. And that, and I think the thought never part is the part that bothers me, right? It, it's the, at this point in the series, we're realizing that that cat is, um I believe the correct term is second wave feminist um, where she's using a lot of status quo, male language to communicate a a feminism message. People who understand feminism better could probably better categorize that. My main understanding is I believe that second wave uh, feminism. Uh, I was just going to
1: add the caveat that we are two dudes and we're putting our opinions on it and we would welcome actual feedback or comments from someone that is actually knowledgeable about it so we can learn more.
0: Absolutely. No, completely agree. I was about, I was about to say, I think so. Thank you for, for going that way. Cause that's, that's the point is like, this is something we don't know about. Um, but I, I guess my, my, my frustration is, is that at this point we're seeing that Kat's a genuinely interesting character. And she has a lot of depth, and I was excited to see that. I'm excited to see that they took this this trope of shrewish, powerful woman and did something interesting with that. And I was just kind of hoping that. And there may be episodes that we skipped over that Bish does this better, so I'll recognize that too. Um, but I felt like it was just kind of the the surface veneer of feminist ideals, rather than any meaningful kind of approach and to it.
1: To to move into superworld's actions while all this is going on. It highlighted something I love and also something I hate all at once. Superhearing is an amazing power. But Mm -hmm. if you can hear conversations all the time around the city, it would fall into the Sumerian trope from, oh, I forgot what the comic's called now. But the Sumerian is basically their Superman stand-in who is constantly saving everyone because he can hear everything that's going on in the city. So he never has time to stop and rest. And we right. see that yep. Supergirl can do that because then she flew in into the thing that I loved to tell the these bullies that, no, this is my friend. And she uses her x-ray vision to find her name and call her by name. Like, that is perfect. I love that. that. Is what I want from Supergirl, Superwoman, Superman, Superbeing, whoever that hero is, because Super, in general, the Supers represent hope. And that is like the core concept of who they are. I don't care if you saw like the dark gritty Superman that snaps Zod's neck. It's a whole different conversation. They're here to represent hope, and that is bringing hope to people, and not big grandiose hope that everyone sees, but small individual moments that change people's lives.
0: Right. <clears throat> um, brief digression, but uh, for a long time I was not really a fan of superhero or Superman as a character. I, was, I didn't really quite get why people were so excited about him. I, I didn't. I, I felt it was kind of corny, kind of tacky, kind of weird. But otherwise, didn't really. really Um, And then I read the all-star Superman run by Grant Morrison and completely changed my mind on Superman. But the big piece is that there's a point where someone's about to jump off the building and commit suicide and Superman doesn't swoop down to save them. Superman lands next to them and they spend two pages just talking. And this was the CBS version of that compressed. Uh, But you're right. It's the, we're now starting to see that when Kara is Supergirl, she has a confidence and uh, a, a, an ease that she started to develop now that she's had this personality. And her casual, again, like the, the looking into the book bag to see the person's name, is is a move that I think only Supergirl could necessarily pull off. It's the how do I subtly slide this in, but use my superpowers to direct this conversation. Because she recognizes, I I too have been a young girl and I know how this exact situation plays out. So that was, maybe back to my point about Kat, is that was, I felt, a very strong, here's a woman acting as a woman in an environment that only she would understand and playing that well. I thought that was really cool. Um, And you're right, that is absolutely, I want to root for her. And that's what makes this episode so tragic is because then she tears it all down because of the red kryptonite. And people are genuinely afraid of her. And it shows the other side I like, of Superman girl stories is that one bad day is all it takes to make mm-hmm. everyone love you suddenly be terrified of you. And this was her bad day.
1: I just wanted to bring that up because that is the gr- out of the three episodes we watched. This is my favorite one because of that moment.
0: Um, The Siobhan situation, at first I was annoyed by it because it was starting to be the two women competing for success when they could collaborate to get more success. Um, but I got over a, because Kara's not in her right mind and she's going to fall back on her weapons, being a woman. Uh, so, and those are the kinds of things that happen in those environments, but also they do actually,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Siobhan's story does go beyond this. Uh, so it's not just, and then she disappears. No, no, no. It's an inciting incident for long-term consequences. So, like, when those kinds of things happen, cool, great. She was not just a, a set dressing to show how evil Kara has become, there's actually a plan here. Um, and that's something that I think a lot of this episode did is that by writing up to 16, we, we see, again, we see Kara in her stride. She's confident. She's comfortable. And then everything goes wrong. And people say some things that they regret saying to her, but they're not wrong about. And Karen knows once once the Red goes away, she's like, oh my god, what have I done? And these things people were saying, they're not wrong. And then the superhero thing now goes the other direction where she can hear all the things people are saying about her. <laughs> and boy, I've had that anxiety in my head before, of like the all the voices in your head telling you how how screwed up you are. Um so it I I, I thought the first episode was good and it was fun, it was a fun show. This episode mm-hmm. made me fall in love with Kara as a character,
1: and it's nice that all of this also progressed all the plots around the people, and it just wasn't like a one-off and it had no relevance or importance mm-hmm. later on. This is a ground, grounding moment that sort of launches off a whole bunch of other subplots and sort of, in some instances, helps wrap some of the other ones up. It is a nice piece of writing, and it, the acting was great. Mm-hmm. And then
0: for me, I had zero knowledge that, uh, Hank was actually the martial manager. So it was a complete surprise to me. And I was so excited when that <laughs> happens, like, yes, John Jones, because I, I, like, you I have a soft spot for, for John Jones, because I feel like he is a all the time criminally underused character. Um, and he's, he's so, so fascinating to me. And, and it makes perfect sense. Like, Of course, John Jones would be in charge of the organization that hunts aliens to make sure that they hunt the right aliens. And for me, that's kind of where the DEO, oh, okay, now I see where you're going with the DEO. That actually makes sense. It doesn't invalidate the narrative problem of introducing it the way you did to begin with. And, and I'm guessing for what you're saying, it sounds like it never really gets away from that. But at least, it's, okay, I see where you're going with it now. Um, but still, so, it was just it. It was it was a neat moment that so I think
1: originally, if I remember right, because right, a on. long time. Is that he took over the role of Hank Henshaw, who was a speciest that hated all aliens, and he the cyborg version okay. of Henshaw shows up later, but so that's like down the road to create shenanigans. Oh, no. But it's him taking that over and then like leading, trying to. Lead the organization in a good way as much as you can for an entire organization whose purpose is to hunt down other aliens. Right. Max, right well Lord. So it's it's shows up in everything. Always a bad guy because he kinda is. (sighs) And every time I hear the name Maxwell Lord, you know what I'm thinking. When is he gonna shoot Ted Court? When's he gonna shoot Ted Court? Every time he props up, when's he gonna shoot Ted (laughs) Court? Uh, yeah.
0: Max, it, it it's funny because like, I think in the past 10 years, we've reached a point where Maxwell Lord's becoming
1: <laughs> about as big as Lex Luthor as evil business person. That, that's, just it. that's all I had for him because he doesn't really do anything this episode other than made the rare kryptonite cure the rare kryptonite. Nope. Like background, important piece, but no relevance to really anything else. We, I think that I would assume there's some relationship between him and Alex Cara's sister from how it was sort of implied and played? Maybe. Maybe?
0: It is that kind of show.
1: The okay. fight between uh, the Martian Manhunter and Supergirl. Love that. It showed like the similar power levels and yeah. everything else. And it's awesome.
0: And, and compare that to the fight between Reverse Flash and Flash we did last week. Um, and to your point, mm-hmm. you see where the CBS budget is coming into play here. It, it, it wasn't quite movie level. It wasn't quite MCU level, but
1: you have to it was a lot television. Television show. And it had what 20, 23 episode seasons. And they have to split that budget over all those seasons. So that's yeah. why you have sort of uh lock room mystery episodes to save up money, to be able to have big CGI episodes.
0: Right, um, and it helps that uh, uh, we have learned from many many years of watching Superman media that Superman's power sets are relatively cheap to film. Um, so having the occasional big brawl like this is it's not like Flash, where every time Barry moves, special effects come into play. So it it it, it it's nice mm-hmm. to see him save up and spend that money strategically. Speaking of the Flash, episode eighteen, World's Finest. Siobhan discovers the women in her family are cursed with the spirit of a banshee, which can only be quieted by killing whoever wronged them because this is the kind of show it is. Deciding to kill Kara, Siobhan frees Livewire from captivity at the DEO and suggests they team up to kill both Kara and Kat. Siobhan, now calling herself Silver Banshee and Livewire, kidnap Kat and wreak havoc on National City Park. Meanwhile, Supergirl is running with Barry Allen the Flash, a superhero from a parallel dimension, whom she asks for help to find Livewire and Silver Banshee. After a climatic fight in a downtown park, Kara is able to subdue them and win back National City's trust. Later, when Kara decides to reveal her romantic feelings for James, she discovers that he and everyone in National City has fallen under some kind of spell, revealed by NON <laughs> to be the result of Myriad. And I picked this because, like, okay, it's, it's a crossover episode. We're talking about the Arrowverse. We should talk about the crossover thing. Wow, this killed a lot of the momentum I had after the last episode. <laughs> uh,
1: well, all right. Before we even get into this, is the super super code name Banshee, if associated with a Sonic power, copyrighted by Marvel? Uh,
0: well, no, no. Silver does exist. Banshee is uh, a different name now, than curious. what Banshee
1: would be. So that makes me think Banshee would be copyrighted, right. but not Silver. Banshee. Yes, no. But, now would be Silver Banshee be copyrighted for DC, but. So,
0: So I'm checking, uh, Silver Banshee first appeared in 87 by John Byrne. John Byrne absolutely knew who (laughs) Banshee was, because John Byrne worked on the X-Men, for God's sakes. So, um, and we should talk about this. Uh, There is a, there was a point where from about the 60s to about the 90s, where Marvel and DC were both competitors, but also weirdly shared their talent pool. But they wouldn't share it Sec- simultaneously. It, they would, you would go from one company to the other and back again. And a lot of times this was due to corporate decisions. And so there'd be animosity. And so when you have frustrated artists, they put that in frustration onto the page. And so you have a lot of, let's politely say, references to rival companies that are sometimes, you know, good-natured nudge and winks and sometimes are biting satire. Uh, and all of these references are now canon. And time has gone on, and so now what started off as, oh, this will be a fun throwaway character, or make fun of Marvel, is now a character that's <laughs> around and is doing things. And, and, I mean, Silver Banshee is one example, but certainly like, you know, there's um, Nighthawk. Nighthawk was Marvel's Batman ripoff, and Nighthawk and is the, still around and, the and doing stuff. And the
1: mantle has changed a couple heroes, too. Uh, I mean,
0: yeah, yeah. Um... You know, the uh, there is a not justice league in Marvel. Um there is a not Avenger. Are, are you group referring DC you know? to I mean, the Marvel so Justice League an, of the
1: Squadron Supreme with Hyperion? Or oh uh, what was her name? Who was a Wonder Woman ripoff? Oh uh, was like Princess Hyper- something. Yes.
0: Princess Power. Or Power Princess. <laughs> yes. Um uh, 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 Hyperion who is the last of a dying race from a microscopic realm whose ship fled the microscopic realm to come to the macro realm to be raised by parents yes it's like it's so blatantly i love it superman <laughs> it's 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 okay so yeah super banshee yeah, was was very likely meant to be at least a doing nod. now i'm to curious when siren banshee.
1: first appeared who is banshee's daughter who has a sonic screen but well, that's all. We could digress into like a long, like, like pit here, so we're not going to do it. But yeah, I'm pretty sure Siren episode. came in the '90s, uh,
0: right? Um, and then Livewire is generic electricity. The one as far as This will be going. one of
1: the few yeah. times you'll ever, ever uh, hear me say this. I am glad that Livewire is not a black actress because they constantly can't move away from associating black superheroes with electrical powers. Laugh. Go Go and look.
0: No, I, I, I'm laughing because not only is that true, but
1: yeah. DC in particular
0: yeah. loves doing that. Because there's black lightning, there's shock, there's a third one, I'm pretty sure. Well, no, no there's thunder mm-hmm. and lightning.
1: So, yeah, it's... Ah, try wow. by dislike. So that's the only time you'll ever... Uh,
0: well, good thing we don't have an entire ever. show. It's the only time on you'll ever hear me say soon. that.
1: So enjoy it, <laughs> listener. That, that one's just for you. <laughs> um.
0: But anyway, so Barry Allen shows up. Um. I believe this was season two of Flash because there actually was a storyline where he was stuck traveling through parallel dimensions. So this is technically a crossover episode. Um, it was done in a way that if you didn't watch Supergirl and didn't watch The Flash, you could understand both episodes, you wouldn't be missing anything. But if you did watch both, you got something out of it. Um, I think there's a sly reference in Flash to him meeting uh, a girl named Kara, that kind of stuff. It's very, very minor. Um, So it's not nearly the highly intricate crossovers we're going to see later in the overs. But you start to see this is now, we're reaching a point where the idea of these shows touching each other is getting more and more pervasive because now we're going to a different network to see this kind of continuity. And this is episode 18, so it's late in season one. Um, but so I don't think they're quite... I think CBS is still planning to keep going at this point. Um, but it was just, you know, hey, we know the people, you know, we know Grant, we could bring him on, have him do one episode kind of thing. Uh, and the fact that, they just did it is really cool, but they did
1: nothing interesting. It is an episode that occurs, which in some senses, all right. So from my comic perspective, there's the comic brain me that loves it. It's like, it's totally random. It's how comics work. You're in a massive superhero, superhero universe, random crap happens. The TV side of my brain wants more coherent plot and it to be relevant for you to have this character show up to do something. And I'm, I'm stuck in the middle of those. I see the right. positives, I see the negatives. I'm going to go with positives because uh, Grant Gustin is a likable presence on the show and brings that likableness wherever he goes.
0: I think my frustration with it is that um, because it's a one episode crossover, there's only so much they can do. And there's so many, because this is the kind of show it is, so many subplots happening, it really cuts down their screen time. And so it collapses what could have been a really cool getting to know each other relationship into they have to be friends now. Uh, and he also becomes a love interest very, very quickly uh, and then stops being a love interest very quickly. I, but just, you know, I'm going to say, I
1: don't think he becomes a love interest. I think, in my opinion, she is, is fascinated is by another super person that's on their side. And James thinks it's a love interest. She
0: is flirting with him. I don't see it. Well, then, at least, at least, can we agree that uh, he is injected yes. into the but
1: current love interest at the same story. time? If you have a bunch of attracted people that want to have relations with each other, it doesn't matter if there is like a love interest plot line or not. There is the, the boning plot line, like how I, I I brought our level of, brought us to like a, it's a, CW a show. 15 age person down to like a nine with that comment, like. Zzzz.
0: Well, I mean, you know, Silver Banshee does dress up like a skeleton. So are I mean, are you know, we going to talk about you know, He-Man like, and Skeletor's relationship
1: now? Are we writing fan fiction? <laughs> you, uh, you set them up. I'm just going to, like, knock no, but, them on the park. It's, it's going to keep happening.
0: That, that That's fair. You, your job is to distract me from actual points. And, and you relish your role. Um, but for me, my frustration is, because, like, I'm with you, the complex side of me this is exactly how it's the, we need to boost sales, so let's inject yep. pop your popular character into it. It feels like, if this guy was Marvel, this is a Marvel show, it'd be Wolverine, right? It's exactly what this felt like. Wolverine?
1: What? Um, it's like, Wolverine, what, what are you doing in the me, microverse? Micro- I don't know, Bob. I'm just here. What? Done. Let's go on an adventure together
0: digression, one of my favorite lines from an X-Men comic is in the relatively recent ones, like a couple years ago, um, someone finally called Wolverine and like, you're on like 5 million uh, super teams. How do you manage it? <laughs> he just says, planning. And then, goes on. And I'm like, best answer ever. Uh, but, um, my frustration is episode 16, Kara has the worst day ever. So it's a really great potential plot line. Episode 17, we didn't watch, but it's her coming out of that. And she's still coming out of that in episode 18. And there's still potential lots of drama here. Barry shows up and more or less solves the problem. Uh, And while he solves the problem by convincing Kara that she can continue to win people's hearts back. And then she does that and then she wins. So she's still taking action here. But it still kind of feels like a guy shows up to save a woman. For me,
1: I would agree if we hadn't watched episode 16. Because episode sixteen ends with her on the roof with Kat and Kat telling her that it's not impossible it's not impossible, it's just hard. Okay. And for her to do the work. So that has that okay. reinforce. Barry. Much how Barry ran to Oliver and said, Ollie, I don't know what I want to do. You should wear a mask. Okay. Thanks, Ollie. I didn't know that. This is this that's this moment. You, know and what, plus, that's fair, you have what? So- even in this episode, saying, I still believe in you. Like that is supergirl's real momentum barry's like you right, should just right. wear a mask because that's what we do <laughs> so you take it off for everybody uh back Damn sorry it, before you actually get to a relevant um, point back to no, the have- flash episode barry cannot keep that fucking mask on i just met you i'm barry allen
0: <laughs> i know i know it's like i'm a different universe no one knows me here. There's no possibility of the Barry <laughs> Allen here just just like screw up his life entirely. I'm just going to go with this. Sorry, you're relevant. Oh my to God, point Barry Allen, you're the worst. Right, no, no but I was going to say, like, that's a good point. Um, uh, would you, You've helped me to reframe the fact that Barry Allen's unwritten secondary power is mm-hmm. convince people that they're good. Because to be fair, that is how Barry Allen is written and that is consistently played out because you mentioned the Arrow thing and he does do that even in future seasons. He is the heart of the... T- Ad hoc teams that come out, so I'll accept that. And you're right; they can't lay the groundwork. So, so I feel less bad about it than I did before. um But in isolation, it certainly was like you had 45 minutes and not quite enough. Room. Like honestly, they should have been a two-parter. I really feel. i feel like If i had been a two-parter, a lot of my frustrations would have gone away because a little more time with the Barry and Kara relationship, a little more time to the various stuff around her, and then help her to kind of make that progressions get the city back over the course of a two-part big moment yeah. episode i think that would have been cooler
1: but they i probably only had him for one day would like to be a two-parter if they had a real villain to fight now no offense to live well, Wire, who shoots electricity who looks like <laughs> a low-powered electro because she went through the power socket but there is no reason, and this goes back to my right. my inherent issue with the show, that live wire and silver banshee should be that much of a problem for Supergirl by herself to fight them both. Like, you shoot electricity, I am nine right. vulnerable. And yes. It's <laughs> that I can't get over. So without them having real villains for them to fight, the two of them together is a waste for the superhero identities. That's why even in the episode itself, we see Barry sitting around. The Flash is literally not moving for most of the episode. Just hey, man, I'm just hanging out on on Earth. Hey, what you doing? I like donuts. Like, right? <laughs> yes,
0: and uh, it was interesting to have the Flash an episode of a person like well, her, she can. Do sound things, it's like the Flash can literally mm-hmm. and repeatedly run faster than the speed of sounds. Yeah. Just outrun yeah. the sonic attack. Uh, Yeah, no, I agree. It, if they were to do that, they, they should have brought in a heavy hitter or villain to make that work. Um, I think it's another point, which is, which is why I was frustrated with this episode, is that all the signs point towards either the heroes fight or the heroes team up against villains or both. Uh, especially if you're Marvel. Um, but none of that kind of happens or never does in a satisfying way. It's like Siobhan pretty quickly breaks live wire out of prison stuff happens. And then live wire at least is recaptured pretty quickly. It's like, I, I, we obviously missed the episodes where live wire So I may have had more emotional investment then, but the way this structure was written, live wire was just there to kind of be in the way. And right, the root bump we get the introduction, the
1: this episode of the word metahumans. So, they deduce that fun Silver Banshee is a metahuman. What is Livewire? Did they not know, figure out beforehand Livewire was a metahuman? Livewire is obviously not a Kryptonian. Right, right,
0: right. Yeah, because the plot is aliens have invaded Earth and now we've reached a point where it's like, and also other superpowers, which again is not superhero continuities are messy, and that's fine, but for the first season. It feels like they're 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 already losing momentum for their core structure, which is like we fight aliens. It's like okay, yeah, but this episode, well, nobody's an alien except for Kara,
1: John Jones. Well, okay, right.
0: So uh, I, yes, two people are so aliens.
1: I w- I wouldn't want to say I want to be a two parter, but only if they had a real villain to fight that would have tested their abilities and not tested us as an audience to think that they're this bad. Right.
0: Um, that said, I'm gonna immediately lose all my cred by saying that the highly contrived scene where they have a race at the end to get him back home, I loved it. Because it wasn't trying to pretend to be anything more than a completely contrived scene to have them have this a race This is an arg- It's like, I feel like there, there's a... Either you, need, you just go, no, we're just doing this stuff because we're a comic book, or we're actually trying to plot this out as a proper drama. And sometimes, this, show, at least this episode, it feels like this show's occasionally not sure which it's, which it's trying to be. And something that I, seen, I felt like we all got out of The Flash is The Flash. Like, no, we're a superhero show. We're just leaning into that. Um Arrow's like, no, we're drama. And we're just leaning into that. And so it doesn't. But the point is, like, for each of these first seasons, they have a strong vision. Superhero, I feel like it's
1: already losing the focus. I'm going to come the, back to the Flash race, because that's my last comment on on the whole episode. But to have Kat say, you mean, uh, actually, I think this happens after that. You may have a point, but I'm still going to make that my last point cat saying you mean your your friend the flash barry Allen has gone home like that reinforces how awesome cat is as a character right. but also then lets you know that she knows kara is supergirl and probably has known kara as supergirl for the whole time which
0: right and also to me was just wonderful because also reinforced barry just but is that brings up something i've forgotten
1: is that they play fast and loose with secret identities this entire show Because you have uh, James and Mm. Wynn who are hanging out in the DEO, who they both know who Kara is, but they seem to work there, but yet they work at CatCo, and they have information that they shouldn't have that they tell the cat for the company. So it's like, does cat technically work for the DEO Mm. too? So there's that weird murkiness that's never quite defined and layered out. but. I like the fact that she said, I know he's a flash because he was here for two days. The flash showed up for two days. You're hanging out with him. Burp, you're obviously, we're not going to say it until I think the end of Supergirl, that you're Supergirl. Right. And the race. Right. Oh, the race. I agree. I
0: the dislike this trope
1: when it first started that you don't know who's faster for the comic Superman of the Flash. This should never be in question. The Flash should always be the fastest, literally, than anyone. Because if not, oh, the Flash is pointless. I have one superpower. Mm-hmm. And if you, Superman and Supergirl, have your arsenal of powers and you're better at me than my one power, why am I here?
0: There actually was a good run. I want to say it was Grant Morrison's J- JLA, but I may be wrong about that. Um, where they do the race, Superman wins, and uh, Wally West is actually – like. So why am I here? Why, why, why am I even doing this? Because there's at least one person on this team who can do everything I can do. And uh, there is an implication in future comics that Superman starts throwing the race to make Wally feel better about himself. And Wally also calls him on that, too. Uh, so I think some writers have done some interesting stuff with that. Uh, but objectively, you're right. The, the continuity has presented that Superman is faster. And it does invalidate Flash. It, it does lead to some weird things like that. The Speed Force and then Barry Allen running so fast that he undoes himself and the speed force being an actual place you can go to and just all sorts of nonsense. Um but the race is one of those things like it's it's a it's a well I won't say done, well Hoon's DC trope. Like the, the Flash and Superman do races. This is our Superman stand-in, so we're going to do the race thing. And she's going to call him Scarlet Speedster, and he's going to call her the Woman of Steel. And I mean, it's it's utterly contrived, but it's, it's the very much a, we are also comic book fans. We're doing this for you fellow comic book fans. There's no other reason for this scene to exist. And to our point um, for the Patreon episode, that if you're a Patreon listener you know what i'm talking about if you don't you should have a patreon uh but big dumb fan service moments when done right are wonderful it's the if done right part i don't know if this was done well
1: but and i at least appreciate if the that to. was a trope that i liked that it had reoccurred i probably would be the same way but it's something i haven't liked even in the comics Cause it leads to my like brain and thinking Is Superman also linked to the speed force. The Superman's linked to the speed force. Why doesn't Superman just run back in time? Sometimes on the flash does so to solve a lot of his problems. Doomsday. I'll be back. <laughs> I'll run back into time. Stop doomsday from coming to earth. So therefore he won't kill me. Won't cause a destruction. He's just done. And then I come back and I stop doomsday from being created. Easy peasy.
0: So you say that as if Superboy has not traveled back and forth in At time. Superboy, it's constantly. Whole thing. <laughs> we
1: could talk about Superboy punching the holes in reality if you want to.
0: <laughs> he literally punches a hole in reality. It's a whole other thing. Comic. <laughs> that is my last <laughs> comment, oh, so though on, on that. Okay, Andy I, I'm Super glad that we Series. covered it
1: because I remember bouncing off around episode originally for the first run on episode mm-hmm. three but then I picked it back up when the CW took over and I had my slew yeah. of comments I made about like her power levels compared to everyone else. But having watched just that snippet mm. of the first season, I really liked it. I never saw episode 16 for instance. And that is a gym of an episode that I'm glad I got to see and discuss with you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I felt the same way. Like, I don't know if I would ever stand and watch all of Supergirl. Um, but certainly my, quick googling to find interesting episodes led to what seems like a pretty representative cross sample of the show which is that sometimes it's got some strong drama sometimes it's got some strong superhero stuff sometimes it's got mediocre both uh and i think that's fair for a lot of the air over shows but certainly episode 16 was like okay when it's firing all cylinders it can genuinely be something special um i did for example uh unrelated to this but I, i've been briefly watching bits and pieces of the um Crisis Infinite Earths, which is much much later uh, down the road for us, um, but there is one great moment in that where uh, some people characters who hadn't seen Kara for a while see her again. It's like, <laughs> is that Supergirl? Is she wearing pants? And I'm like, okay, that's that's a good moment because it's like why she's wearing a skirt makes no sense, and then she doesn't, and that also made, that makes why would she wear why should she wear pants like Superman?
1: It's she the, the same debate that people have about Wonder Woman, although. I bet if they had a a series run of Superman in shorts, people would stop having that conversation. I I agree. Or Batman in a speed up. I
0: think it was the new 52 run um, where Wonder Woman didn't have like leggings. I I thought it was a great costume, frankly. I'm sad to get rid of it. Uh, Anyway. That's Uh, it for Supergirl. Next week, week, Chris.
1: we're going to talk about DC's first Black character to have their own series. That is a very specific tagline. Yeah. And it's going to be black lightning. Mm -hmm. I know we just talked about black characters with lightning powers. It's almost like I was prepping you for this episode. We're going to (laughs) do season one, episode one, the resurrection, season one, episode six, three sevens, the book of thunder, and round it out with season one, episode twelve, the resurrection. And the light, the book of pain.
0: Awesome. And uh, if people wanted to find you online, talk to you about the 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 plethora of uh, light conversation, you can find me on
1: Discord you. for random shenanigans. You can still find me on Twitter at dark underscore you Are on Mastodon that I keep trying to get traction with that people just don't seem to be engaging with uh, at DHS. <laughs> um.
0: You can also find me uh, uh, on Mastodon at Pugsteady. Uh, we're both on dice.camp if you're curious about which instance it is. Um, I'm on Twitter at Pugsteady. That's P U G S T A T Y. That's also my website. Or you can find me on the Darker Hue Discord um, talking about random stuff. Uh, I actually have to take random this week, so uh, you have to come back next week for whatever random thing I've done. Uh, but if you do like this kind of inane babble about pop culture and you have not given Chris Spivey money, please consider backing the darker hue Patreon where we have bonus episodes. And by plural is being optimistic. We have a single bonus episode right now, but we're planning to make more bonus episodes. Um, so if you, uh, right now we've done a, a nice two hour dive into the power of the doctor, our, our, our first tepid tentative steps into eventually was probably going to be a master discussion of doctor who. So if you're curious about what two doctor who nerds have to talk
1: about, uh, I appreciate your constantly promoting the Patreon and Mm -hmm. I I will say that that. Well, since you've done me that benefit, I'll point out that the Pugmire Kickstarter that has ended, you can still pre-order. I only mention it specifically because they just sent me an update saying, hey, update us where to send your fucking book. So after we stop recording, I I need to do that myself. So if you haven't done it, go buy Pugmire.
0: Thank you. Uh, Rumsapugmire.com if you're curious. Uh, But with that, uh, we will see you all next week we talk about Black Lightning.